You're listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. So this morning, uh, my title is The Resurrected Christ. And uh, we've arrived in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. And in this chapter, Paul is addressing the topic of, throughout the whole chapter of chapter 15. He's addressing the topic of the resurrection of the dead. And this is a very exciting topic. But strangely, it's a topic that many Christians don't really know a lot about. And I found that a lot of Christians um, have very little understanding of what's going to happen to them after they die. And it's, I think in, in a lot of cases, people are just simply hoping for a good outcome or they're hoping for the best. They kind of are thinking, well, one day I'm going to die and I'm hoping that things are just going to turn out well. Well, the Bible says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we believe. So faith is about being sure and being certain. It is not wishful thinking. And uh, I want to just ask a few questions this morning. Uh, and I, I'd like you to ask them yourselves. Just go through them in your mind. Just to take stock of where we're at. And so here are the questions. When you die... What exactly is going to happen to you? Is your spirit going to leave your body and float up to heaven? Will angels come and fetch you and take you there? Or will demons arrive and take your soul into hell? Is hell a real place? Is heaven a real place? What's going to happen to your physical body? Will your physical body just decompose in the ground until there's nothing left of it? Will your soul go to a place called purgatory before you go to heaven? Will you be reincarnated and come back uh, to life in a different form? Will you get a second chance to do life over again and correct any mistakes that you've made? If you get to heaven, what are you going to be doing there? You know, heaven is for all eternity. Well, what are you going to be doing in heaven? So how did you go with answering these questions? Do you know the answer to these questions? Or are you simply kind of just going, well, I hope things turn out all right? You see, we can have the attitude that uh, we can look at these questions and go, well, nobody really knows how to answer these questions. They're unknowable. But the Bible actually has a lot to say regarding those questions that we've gone through. So God, I believe, wants us to be very sure about what's going to happen to us after we die. And I think that these questions are incredibly important. In fact, I think that the answer to these questions are, are so important, they're more important to us than whether or not you're going to buy a new house or whether you're going to move houses or, or whether you're going to have kids or even who you're going to marry or what kids your your what school your kids are going to go to, you know we spend a lot of time in our lives thinking about these kind of questions, but we hardly ever think about what's going to actually happen to us after we die, and and I want to say I think we should be asking asking these questions. I think we we should be thinking about what is going to happen to us in eternity, because. The answer to these questions has eternal ramifications. Whether or not you buy a house, whether or not you get a different job, well, that's not going to affect eternity. They might be important for here and now, but 
These things that we're talking about are eternal issues. They are going to affect where and how you're going to spend eternity. So chapter 15 is all about the resurrection of the dead. And Paul is addressing this topic. It's quite a large topic, but he's breaking it down into different sections. And what I'd like to do is cover each section as a, as a separate message. So we'll cover some of the detail of it in this message, but we'll cover the fullness of the entire kind of topic in all the messages. Paul is actually writing this part of the letter to the Corinthian church to correct a way of thinking that's actually wrong. And we see that in verse 12 of chapter 15. Paul says, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, so these Christians in the Corinthian church didn't believe in a physical resurrection. And in response to this, Paul writes, and he goes through a couple of arguments and proofs for the physical resurrection. And as I said, we'll look at each of these in, in, in separate messages. So Paul starts with this topic of the resurrection by talking about the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, and we're going to read from verses 1 through to 11. Paul says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important, and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles, last, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I am not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, it's all because God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. For I have worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace." So it makes no difference whether I preach or they preach, for we all preach the same message you have already believed. So Paul says he wants, us, he wants to remind us of three fundamental truths that form the gospel message. I wonder if you picked that up from this text. Christ died, Christ was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. That, those three things are the gospel message. If you're sharing the gospel and you don't mention those three things, you're not sharing the gospel. The gospel has to include those three facts. And I wonder if this morning, whether you believe these three truths. Jesus Christ 
died for your sins. He died, and his dead physical body was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then three days later, his physical body was raised back to life again. Jesus' physical body was brought back to life. His, his physical body was raised. It wasn't some kind of a spiritual, ghostly kind of raising from the dead. His physical body was raised from the dead. One of his disciples, after his resurrection, named Thomas, actually put his hands, his fingers, into the holes in Jesus' hands. So he had a physical body that could be touched. Mary at the tomb clung to Jesus. Now, you can't cling to someone who's a ghost. Jesus ate a fish in the presence of his disciples. He had a tangible body. It wasn't invisible, and it wasn't only spiritual. There was a physical element to Jesus' resurrected body. So Christ died for our sins, Christ was buried, and Christ rose from the dead. These are not just truths that Christians believe. They are more than that. In fact, these truths are undeniable historical facts. In fact, you can prove without a shadow of a doubt these three truths from history. You can actually prove it from non-biblical sources. In fact, I can remember preaching a message probably 10 years ago now. I preached a series of four messages on Jesus, and some of those messages were proving from history, from non-biblical sources, from non-Christian sources, that Jesus was a real person, that he really did die, and that his tomb really is empty. There are no bones of Jesus lying anywhere on earth because those physical bones and his flesh have been resurrected back to life again. In fact, one of the things I shared in those series of messages is that there's more historical proof for the existence of Jesus than there is for the existence of Julius Caesar. Yet we have no problem believing Julius Caesar was a, was a figure in history, but many people doubt whether Jesus actually existed or not. And yet there is overwhelming proof that Jesus existed in history. And as Paul writes to these Corinthians, he goes on to say, on top of all these facts, he says, are the eyewitnesses. Now, an eyewitness is not just, oh, I heard the guy down the road saw Jesus. It's, it's I myself saw with my very own eyes the resurrected Jesus. And so he says, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. So, so back then, most of these eyewitnesses were still alive. So so if the Corinthians really wanted to do their homework, they could have made a trip to Jerusalem or wherever they were and gone and spoken personally to these more than 500 eyewitnesses who had seen Jesus. Paul says most of them are still alive. If you want to go check out the facts, 
Go and speak to them personally, and they will say they all saw Jesus in his resurrected form. Maybe you're listening to all this this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know, I'm still not 100% convinced. Well, look at this. We are reading a letter from Paul to the Corinthian church. And Paul is a real person. We know that. We know that he existed in history. And we're reading the words of Paul. And in his own words, Paul says, I also saw him. So Paul is stating, just as a matter of fact, hey, if you don't believe any of us, I myself saw Jesus. And so we're left with one of three options. Either Paul was telling the truth, or Paul was a madman, he was off his rocker, and he didn't know what he was talking about, or Paul was outright lying and he was trying to deceive people. He was saying a blatant lie that he hadn't actually seen Jesus, but he's lying about it. So I want you to just stop right now and just think, which of those three are you going to accept? Because there's no fourth option. You have to put Paul into one of those three categories. Either he's telling the truth, or he's a madman, or he's a liar. So which one is it? Make your choice. Up until this day, no other human being has ever experienced a resurrection like this. Yes, I know Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he went on to die again. It was a temporary resurrection. Enoch, I know, didn't die. He was taken to heaven. He just went to be with God. He didn't actually die. He didn't go through a death experience. Same as Elijah. But Jesus actually died. And his physical body was raised back to life again. For a brief period, God's only son was physically dead. And then around 2,000 years ago, after three days of being dead, he was raised from the dead. And he's still alive today. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? From the bottom of your heart. Maybe you're sitting here listening to this message and you're thinking, yes, Russ, I do believe this, but why are you making such a big fuss out of this? Why are you going over and over and over again? Why are you trying to major on this thing of Jesus was resurrected from the dead? I'm living in 2020. I'm trying to serve God. I'm trying to live my life for God. What does Jesus' resurrection really have to do with my life right here, right now? Well, actually, the truth is, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus has, an, has a huge impact on our lives today. When we start to understand the significance of the resurrection, for me it's like a building wave. And, and as God begins to give us more and more revelation on this topic, this wave begins to grow and grow and grow until it's literally like a tsunami that hits us. And in, in the natural, when a tsunami hits a city, that city is totally and utterly changed. It's never the same again. And that's what happens when our lives get hit by the revelation that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. We can never be the same again. It's not like some little swell that passes us by and we go, whoa, that was, that was an interesting thought. When the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus hits us, 
your life will never be the same again. It cannot be the same. Let me share a few thoughts about the resurrection of Jesus. And really, this will just be a few thoughts in this message. And then as we go on into other messages, um, I'll expand uh, on the topic. Just to get you thinking. So we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus. I'm sure like me that you can remember a day in your past where you possibly prayed the sinner's prayer and you accepted Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. And what a wonderful day that was. What a, what a powerful encounter that was. And maybe like me, uh, it was 27 years ago. Maybe it was more, maybe it was less. But although it was a powerful encounter back then, maybe today you're wondering, well, I don't really see a lot of the supernatural in my life today. You know, it was a powerful encounter, but I wonder what God is actually doing in my life right here, right now, today. What is God really doing? I mean, yes, it was an amazing event that happened back there, but what's happening now? And I want to show you right now what is happening from Scripture behind the scenes in our lives. I'm not coming up with this in my own thoughts. I want to show you from Scripture what's going on. You see, Jesus came to earth fully man and fully God. It's a mystery, okay? He came fully man and fully God. And on the cross, he took all the sins that you and I have ever committed and ever will commit. He took it all upon himself and he paid the penalty for our sins. And the penalty for sins is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. The Bible also says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So we shouldn't minimize our sin. God will never overlook it and just kind of brush it to one side. The penalty for any sin is the loss of your life. That And Jesus took that upon himself and he dies in our place. So he dies on the cross, but then the most tremendous victory in history, in the history of the universe, took place. Jesus conquered sin and death. He conquered the grave. On the third day, he rose back to life. Sin couldn't hold him down. Death couldn't hold him down. The grave couldn't hold him down. The devil couldn't get those charges uh, of our sins to stick and to remain permanently on Jesus. And so he burst out of that grave with such tremendous power that hundreds of other dead people got raised to life at the same time. Look at that in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51 to 53. Let me take a drink of water here. Matthew 27, 51 to 53. At that moment, the curtain, this is at the moment of Jesus' death. The curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and tombs opened. Okay? Then the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection and they went into the holy city of Jerusalem 
and appeared to many people. After Jesus' resurrection, the, the bodies of many saints of old were raised back to life again. And I suppose it was a temporary raising, but such was the power that God exerted in raising Jesus from the dead. There was an overflow and others got raised from the dead around him. That's resurrection power. That is grave-defeating power. <clears throat> and it's in that power that Jesus has been raised. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 to 25, and I'm, I'm going to read it from the modern English version. It says, But he, because he lives forever, has an everlasting priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, because he at all times lives to make intercession for them. The reason I chose that version is because it uses the word uttermost. And I, I love that word. Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. You see, this resurrected Jesus has now been raised to the right hand of the Father. He's been glorified. He's been raised to the highest place. The, the Bible says that he's been raised above the heavens. That's how high he's been raised. He's been given the name that is above every other name in all of creation. The most powerful name in the universe. And, and right now, what is the most important thing that Jesus is doing? He's sitting next to the Father and he is interceding for you. Can you believe that? The most important thing to Jesus right now, he's been raised to this highest place. He's been glorified. He is, he's been given the name that is more powerful than any other name. He's won this tremendous victory over sin in the grave. And what is he doing? What is he using all his time to do? He's using every minute, every second of every day to pray for you and I. It says that he at all times lives to make intercession for them. Who's them? Those who are being saved. He ever lives to make intercession for us. And it says that because of that, Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. Someone once said, Jesus saves us from the guttermost to the uttermost. He takes us from the lowest of lows from a place where we can offer God absolutely nothing but our sin. That's what we offer to God. We, we bring our brokenness, we bring our sinful lives, we, we bring just, it's like we've come from the rubbish dump and we've come to God and we say, God, there's nothing I can offer you. And he says, that's okay. My son has done it all for you. You believe in him, you will be saved. He takes us from this place of lowest of lows and exalts us to a co-inheritor, a co-heir with Jesus. You see, when we start understanding what this resurrection of Jesus has actually achieved in Christ and in us, it's like a tsunami that just hits us. That resurrection power, and we're totally changed. And all of this is because Jesus was resurrected. 
It's because he lives forever. It's because he overcame the grave. His role now is to constantly make intercession for believers all around the world. And here's the thing. He's not praying from a place of defeat. He is praying from a place of the biggest victory that anyone has ever seen or will ever see. He's praying as the resurrected Savior. Imagine the power of Jesus' prayers. God's Son seated next to him, praying and interceding and saying, Lord, Father, I'm praying for John right now. I'm praying for Mary right now. I'm praying for Tracy right now. I'm, you know, whoever, whatever your name is. Jesus is praying to his Father. Imagine the power of those prayers that Jesus is praying for you and I right now. Every second of the day, Jesus is praying for you. And this is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 23, and I'm going to, I'm going to read it out of the Christian Standard Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 to 23. And what I want you to notice in particular in this passage of Scripture is the words His, Him, He, all about Jesus, okay? Not about us. He's not praying that we will get some kind of knowledge and that we will do this and we will do that. He's praying, I'm praying that you will know him and his thing and his, 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 his. Watch this. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Most times we are praying and saying, God, what's my calling? Well, I want to say Paul is praying that we would know what Jesus' calling is. That's more important than figuring out what you and I are called to do. I pray that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the glorious riches of his inheritance? Not your and I inheritance, Jesus' inheritance among the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Notice that Paul is praying that believers would have a knowledge of him, that's Jesus, would understand his calling, would understand his riches and would understand the immeasurable greatness of his power. You see, when we have a revelation of Jesus, of his inheritance, his power, his calling, that affects my life. You know, when I pray about myself, Lord, I want to understand my calling. I want to understand my inheritance, my riches. We've got it all wrong. It's all in Jesus. Everything we have is all found in Jesus. Resurrection life is not a force that we receive. 
Sometimes we think about it. We think, Lord, I need resurrection life. I need you to fill me with this power. Well, it's not a power. It's not a force. It's in Jesus. It's a person. When you have Jesus in your life, you have resurrection power working in your life. It's about having Jesus live in us and us live in him. It comes out of a unity of relationship with Jesus. That's when we begin to live with resurrection power. It's the person of Jesus. You might think, I wonder what's going on in heaven right now concerning my salvation. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is on the job. He's busy 24 hours a day, every minute of the day, every second of every minute. He is interceding out of a place of absolute victory. He is praying for you. Now that should encourage you. And the Father is pouring out the full inheritance to his Son, Jesus. Everything, he is pouring it all out upon Jesus. And guess what? Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. And what is the Holy Spirit doing? Jesus said, he is going to take from what is mine and make it available to you. So the Father pours out the full inheritance to his Son who has overcome, who is, who is victorious, who has done the will of God and all that kind of thing. He's praying right now to the Father. And now the Holy Spirit is taking that inheritance that Jesus has and is administrating it to us. He's making it available to you and I. And not only that, the Holy Spirit himself is praying within us with groans that we can't even understand. So we've got Jesus praying in heaven. We've got the Holy Spirit praying in us. I mean, that's a recipe for success if there ever was one. That's why it says Jesus will save us to the uttermost. Let me close by reading verse 2 of 1 Corinthians again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 1 to 2. And I'll read it out of the Christian Standard Bible this time. It says, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaim to you. You received it, past tense. You've taken your stand on it, present tense. You are also saved by it in the future. If you hold to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believed for no purpose, you see, our salvation is past, it's present, and it's future. Man, do we have a confident hope, knowing that this resurrected Jesus, this victorious Jesus, ever lives to make intercession for you and I. He has been raised. He is now high priest in heaven. And his role now, it's not to come back to earth and teach disciples and do all this kind of miracles and go to the cross again and make another sacrifice. No, it's all been done. Now he's praying for you. He's at the right hand of the Father and he's praying so that he can save you to the uttermost. I wonder if, if you believe that this morning. I really hope and I pray that this revelation of the resurrection of Jesus is beginning to grow and it's beginning to hit you like a tsunami. It's beginning to change your life. 
You see, when we have a, a revelation of this, when we have a revelation that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding, the most important thing on his agenda is to pray for you. He's not running around trying to do a whole lot of other things, making sure the planets are keeping spinning and where's the devil, what is he doing, and oh my word, the church is, you know, needs to be planted here or there or the next place. No, Jesus is interceding for his people night and day. Man, that's got to give us confidence. That's got to give us hope. That's got to do something for our lives to go, wow, how am I living my life? What am I doing for the Lord? Am I living in a way that's going to bring Him glory? Or am I just wasting my time focusing on all these other things? I never think about eternal things. Maybe this morning God is saying to you, hey, look at what Jesus is doing for you. You know, you have every reason to live, to live for God, to live a successful life for God. I mean, look at what Paul prayed. He said, look, I am the most undeserving of all the apostles because of what I did to the church. But God is working in his life. And it was and he gave glory to God. He didn't disqualify himself and say, Oh well, you know, I made these mistakes in my past. Now I can't serve God. No. He said, Jesus has done a wonderful work in my life. That's why I work hard serving the Lord. Maybe this morning. You're listening to this and, and you look back in your life and you think, man, I've made some mistakes. I've failed in the past. I've done some things. I've disqualified myself from ministry. Well, let me tell you this. Jesus Christ is praying for you right now. He is praying that you will receive the fullness of the inheritance that he has for you, that you will walk in all the plans that God has for your life, that you won't shortchange God in any way. You won't put the brakes on. You won't say, well, I've had a good run. Now I'm over kind of thing. No, Jesus is praying for you right now. Your journey hasn't finished yet. Keep serving him. Keep praying. Keep responding. Maybe the Lord is, is dropping in your heart. Hey, I want you to go and talk to your neighbor. I want you to share the gospel. I want you to pray. It's just something that really touched my heart. Uh, a couple of, uh, probably two weeks ago, is I heard that there, there, there are two ladies in our church that spend two hours every single day praying for new gen, praying for the kingdom to advance. They get together, they phone each other, and they pray. They are having an impact in the kingdom of God. And my challenge to you is, what does God want you to do? He's, he's done all this for you. He's made it possible for you to live in resurrection power and victory. Let's grab a hold of that and let's run for the Lord. Let me close now in prayer. And I want to just, I want to particularly pray for anyone that's listening this morning that while I'm talking about this, you know, you know in your heart that you're not saved. You know that you've never actually accepted what Jesus has done on the cross for you. There's doubt in your heart. There's a kind of a, you're hoping for the best, but you don't know. Let me tell you this. If you're saved, if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know. There's no maybe about it. If someone comes and asks me, am I married or not? I've got a ring on my finger to prove it, but I know. I know I'm married. I never go, well, I think I'm married. Yet I meet some Christians. I go, well, 
Are you saved? Well, I don't know. I think I am. If you think you are, you're not saved. You will know that you know that you know without a shadow of a doubt if you are truly saved or not. And so this morning, if you're in doubt, I want to lead you in a prayer where you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm asking you for forgiveness for all my sins. I'm accepting what you've done on the cross for me. Even though I wasn't there, even though I'm not an eyewitness, I believe by faith that it happened exactly how the Bible said it happened. And I'm confessing these sins and I'm inviting you to be my Lord and Savior. If you pray that, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved just like that. You will be instantly born again. So I want to invite you to pray. If that's you this morning, pray it from the bottom of your heart. Don't pray it with any reservation. Be prepared to say, God, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to say, wherever you want me to go, I'll do it. I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down my choices. I want to live for you and for your glory from now on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning believing that you are the Son of God, believing that you died on the cross for me, that you took my sins upon yourself and you died in my place. I want to ask for forgiveness for every wrong thing I've ever done and ever said. Please forgive me, Lord. And I forgive those who have sinned and done wrong against me. I don't hold any grudges. I forgive them as I would have you forgive me. And I thank you, Lord, that you do forgive. Lord, from now on, I want to hear your voice and I want to do your will. I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. From now on, I want to live my life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And now just thank the Lord. If you prayed that prayer, just say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. If you've prayed that prayer right now, you've been born again. You will experience what's called the new birth, the regeneration of your spirit. You'll feel the life of God begin to flow within you and you'll be a totally new creation, a different person. That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus. If you prayed that prayer, I'd really love to hear from you. Maybe just send us a text or an email. Uh, Email us on info at newgencitychurch.org. We'd love to hear and just pray with you, send you some some, uh, resources just to get you started on your journey with the Lord. But for the rest of us, um, just enjoy pressing in on the Lord. I'll encourage you just to spend time with the Lord and let that resurrection life of Jesus just begin to flow in you, to begin to change you. You've been listening to the New Gen Sermon Podcast. To find out more about us, visit our website at newgencitychurch.org.